unveiling the secrets A-list copywriters use to make themselves and their clients millions. This is the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. All right, welcome back to the Copywriters Podcast with your host, the world's greatest copywriting coach, David Garfinkel. David, how are you doing today? Nathan, I'm good. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. And we actually have a, a fantastic guest lined up for the listeners, and I don't want to spoil it. So I'm going to turn it over to you. All right. Well, we'll get right to it. Our guest today, Ken McCarthy, has been at the forefront of internet marketing and copywriting from the start. I could give you tons of examples. I'll start with one. Um, way back in 1994, I believe that's 30, 35 years ago, uh, 25 years ago, a long time ago, uh, he sponsored a conference, the first conference, first major conference about making the internet a place where you could do business. Before then, it was sort of the domain of anti-commercial people, a lot of academic people, mathematicians, programmers who didn't really like money changing hands, except when they got their paychecks. And so the internet then was a business-free zone up until Ken did this first conference in 1994. Now, one interesting thing that I think will give you a sense of how Ken has a pretty pretty good vision of the future is his featured speaker was a pioneer at that time, a man named Mark Andreessen, who went on to co-found one of Silicon Valley's most important venture capital firms. And I'm looking right now as we record this at the April 30th, 2019 cover of Forbes magazine with a big picture of Mark Andreessen. Okay. Th this is, this is Ken's vision. Now let's fast forward. Give me another example. 20 years from 1994 to 2014, five years ago from now, um, Tony Hale, CEO of Chartbeat, one of the world's biggest top major data analytic firms, wrote these words in Time Magazine in 2014. In 1994, a former direct mail marketer called Ken McCarthy came up with the click-through as the measure of ad performance on the web. From that moment, the click became the defining action of advertising on the web. Now, you know, 2020 hindsight, you say, big, big deal. You know, uh, of course the click through is the main thing. I look at click throughs all the time, but <laughs> you're saying that in 2019. This guy saw it, our guest today saw it in 1994. So it's one thing to come up with an idea, that's pretty good. It's another thing to be recognized as the guy who came up with it by a leading authority in an article in Time Magazine. Now, okay, great, so Ken's really smart and he's got a great vision, but as a copywriter or business owner, why is this important to you? Here's why. Ken's also a copywriter and a marketer, and he's made a lot of money that way. And recently he pointed out that there are some key things that these days, no one's been teaching, and for reasons I don't know, maybe we'll find out, he's decided to share them with you on this podcast, things that if you put them to use conscientiously could make you a whole lot of money. So, Ken, thanks for being here. It's a pleasure to be on here, and, and if you want to know the reason why I'm on, I heard that David Garfinkel is the best introducer in showbiz. <laughs> <laughs> 
and I appreciate it, man. <laughs> I've, I've worked on my skill stack, and that's right at the top. Thank you, sir. Um, there's one other thing I want to tell our listeners about themselves before we dive in, and that is this. Copy is powerful. You're responsible for how you use what you hear on this podcast. Most of the time, common sense is all you need, but... If you make extreme claims and or if you're writing copy for offers in highly regulated industries like health, finance, and business opportunity, you may want to get a legal review after you write and before you start using your copy. My larger clients do this all the time. So, Ken, again, thanks for doing this. Um, You're a legend. I know a lot of people have spent a lot of money learning from you. I'm one of them. I, I think we might have mentioned that as we were preparing for this. I was at your systems seminar in San Francisco, probably uh, 2005, I believe. Wow. Yeah, 2003, I think, believe it or not. And and, uh, uh, Gary Halbert was at that one. Oh, I I remember that. He shook up the room. I think he said the internet's going to die. And unfortunately, (laughs) it it worked the other way. Uh, The internet's still here. Uh, But um, yeah, I I, I remember I went up and I talked to him. So... uh, uh, it was one of the two times I met him. That was that was an incredible seminar. But um, tell us, you know, give us a little history before we start to dig into the how-to money-making stuff. You know, you were a direct mail guy before 1994. Did you have a, a business, a company like Haverhills or Jay, what's his name? Or Jay Abraham. Peterman. Jay Peterman. I gosh, I wish I had a business that big. Um, but yeah, I did. I did have a business that was 100% direct mail driven. Uh, so I know what it's like to go down to the mail house and, and see, tra- you know, trays of, of your letters, you know, stacked up and ready to go and worried to death that those letters are not going to work. Um, and I, I started in San Francisco, actually, uh, mm-hmm. with my with my mailer, with my uh I promoted seminars via direct mail because there was no other way. Um, and the way we did it was write articles um, for trade magazines, use those articles as lead gen. People would write in for more information and we'd add them to the mailing list and then they'd be on our mailing list. And every time we did an event, a conference or a seminar, we'd write a letter and try to encourage them to, uh, to come to the event. And we were working in real estate finance in those days. Um, for people in the you know, basically mortgage brokers and people that were actually buying and selling mortgages, which is a whole other concept, but people actually do buy and sell mortgages. And so uh, we were kind of a leader in that field and it was 100% direct mail driven. Pre, there was no internet. <laughs> so when, the, when I saw the internet for the very first time, which was 1993, in a cabin in the woods in Humboldt County, um, <laughs> strangely mm-hmm. enough, um, friend of mine said, hey, check this out. And he opened his computer and he's showing me the Library of Congress. I said, well, what's the big deal? He goes, I'm accessing the card catalog of the Library of Congress. And I was like, wow, that's pretty impressive. So that was my my first experience with the internet. And when I realized you could send mail to people for free, um, because Right, it was at, right at that time. 1993 is when all the big services started communicating with each other. In the old days, just for people that are interested in this history, Prodigy and 
little AOL, it was very tiny at the time, and CompuServe uh, were all separate islands. You couldn't, if you were on Prodigy, you could only talk to people on Prodigy. If you were on CompuServe, you could only talk to people on CompuServe. And somebody had the really, truly brilliant idea, probably the most important thing that anybody ever did with the internet, which was make it possible for anybody on any online service to communicate with anybody on any other online service via internet email. And that was the big breakthrough. And that, that started in the late uh, 80s, but it, 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 the, the critical mass was reached in 93. So that was really the first year you could reliably reach anybody who had any kind of online access via the internet, via email. There was no web then. The web hadn't even been, well, the web existed, but it, was, it wasn't very pretty. Uh, the graphical interface for the web didn't happen until late 93. Okay, that's interesting. So it sounds like your first thought from a business point of view was, hey, we can use this um, computer, internet, um, internet, I guess, to send mail to people instead of having to go down to the mail house. And so that's, of course, called email. Duh. And today, I mean, email seems to be still the least restricted, most profitable way of marketing, wouldn't you say? Uh, amazingly enough, in fact, I'm, I'm working on a pro bono case right now for a, a a, a nonprofit agency that um, lost their Facebook account by some bizarre circumstance. And 30, they lost 31,000 members. I mean, just a disaster. And if I could convey any this to any, to the, one message today is please folks, do not rely on Facebook or any other institution for your online presence. At, have your own website and have your own mailing lists. This group had never bothered to put a mailing list together. They only had Facebook friends. They got a lot done, um, but they were 100% Facebook de dependent and now they're screwed. So I'm helping them rebuild from the ashes. So um, I don't know why I went off on that tangent, but yeah, email's the thing. <laughs> online, yeah. email is still the thing. Yes, not everybody reads their email. Yes, there are spam blockers. Yes, there's a million problems, but you're not going to have Mark Zuckerberg or Jeff Bezos or, or Bill Gates or any one of these guys wake up one day and decide they want you off the internet. Uh, they, they can't stop email. So, okay. bottom line on that. that that's great. So, um, how long was it after you first saw the internet, the Library of Con Congress catalog, that you realized, hey, shit, I can make money with this? <laughs> um, it took me a little while because I was so dazzled. Uh, it took me a couple of months to, to sort of get my bearings. And the big breakthrough for me is, uh, it's interesting, kind of an interesting story. My, my girlfriend, uh, now wife, uh, had a... Uh, book that she wrote a cookbook. It was nominated for the Julia Child Cookbook Award. I helped with the writing a little bit. Um, and I, I wanted her to win. So I contacted everybody I knew in the world and said, vote for the book because the public was allowed to vote. And one friend I couldn't reach, but somebody said, I've got his email address. And I said, what the heck is an email address? Um, and, and so uh, I organized my other friend up in Humboldt County to write my friend. I said, could you send an email to this guy? I didn't even have email at the time, right? So I said, could you send an email to this guy and tell him to call me? So my friend did call me and my friend was a super internet geek, unbeknownst to me. He was one of the first 
users of the internet back in the 70s. Um, and uh, he said, you should read this magazine called Boardwatch. So I got it. And Boardwatch was having a conference about, it was these role of people that operated computer bulletin boards back in those days, which was oh, yeah. pre-internet. And um, God, I thought about it. I go, gee, do I really want to go all the way to Colorado to hang out and talk with people in this weird, wild world? And I had a dream. This is a true story. <laughs> I had a dream. I was in San because I lived in San Francisco at the time. Uh, I was on Polk Street um, in this dream. It was so vivid. And there was a mail uh, a phone booth, but it was made out of mahogany wood. Okay, this, is, this really happened, guys. <laughs> and I went into the phone booth and it had a drawer with a brass, you know, uh, pull you know a handle i pulled the brass handle open and it was filled with rolls of hundred dollar bills wow okay that was my dream so when i woke up i said hmm telecommunications lots of money conference on bulletin board systems i'll go (laughs) 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 i swear guys that's exactly how it happened right so when i went there it was three days of people who lived this is 93 the summer 93 who lived and breathed the online world. And that's when I really got it because I said, this stuff is really complicated. It's really cumbersome. It's really hard to use. And yet there are hundreds of thousands of people going through, you know, crawling over broken glass naked just to be able to communicate with each other online. When this becomes easy for people, this is going to explode. And that's, and I, and I had a notebook with me, one of those, you know, wide ruled school notebooks with the marble, black marble, which is still my favorite business tool. And I, I wrote and wrote and wrote every thing that occurred to me. Um, and when I got home, um, luckily enough, I, I came home to San Francisco, which it's a good thing I didn't live in Tulsa or Baton Rouge or, or uh, Minneapolis because I would have been out of luck, but I lived right at ground zero of the internet revolution. So I just, went out and networked with everybody that I could. Uh, And what I discovered, which was a bizarre, what I considered bizarre, was that there was this large population of digital media people. This is pre-CD-ROM. There were no CD-ROMs. And they were developing interactive video kiosks and all kinds of wild, expensive stuff. And then on the other side, you had the internet guys who were, you know, really, they were excited about communicating with people all over the world and having archives and all this stuff. And they didn't talk to each other at all. Oh, I'm but, like, but I'm like, I mean, you, you've done a lot of, you've done a lot of conferences, right? A lot of bringing people together. That's, that's the rule, not the exception, right? You always have people that in, in your mind, obviously should be talking to each other for their own benefit and the benefit of others, but in their minds, it's like, huh, why, huh? Or I don't want to talk to them. Yeah, it was, it was that I, I, you know, I'm still, I should get over it, but I'm still shocked. <laughs> These things seem so obvious to me, you know, it's like, why do guys, guys, don't you get it? And, you know, so the, the, the internet people would be like, well, we, we don't, we don't do that. And, and the, uh, the multimedia people, they were called multimedia in those days. Uh, they were like, well, we can't put our, our, our CD, our, our interactive video over the internet, it, it, there's not enough bandwidth. And I said, yeah, but someday there will be, you know, <laughs> don't you guys see this is, you know, and, I'm not, and the irony is I am not a technical guy. I am a copywriter. Okay. Just so everybody understands that first and foremost, I don't think of myself as an internet guy. I think of myself as a copywriter who, who got involved in the internet thing. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I am not, I'm really, I, I, I had to hire a tutor to show me how to send and receive email. It took, it took several <laughs> sessions. I'm not exaggerating. It was pathetic, you know, but, but, but it, the, the business case was just so strong and it all came down to my, you know, doing my campaigns, my direct mail campaigns, going down to the letter shop, handing the guy the check, sweating bullets that, oh my God, this could be the end. You know, this could be a mailing that goes out. Cause you know, every, yeah, I'd make money. I'd pay the rent. I'd, you know, have some extra cash, but then I had to, you know, turn the wheel again. And, well, and yeah. Let, let me, you're, oh man, you're sparking so many ideas in my mind. So uh, a few weeks ago, we had a guy named Tom Antion on and we uh, kept coming up, you know, Tom? Of course he was, he was a, a, a colleague way back when he's a speaker at some of the early events. Yeah. Yeah, and 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 same here. And, and I was remembering a um, conference, a, a seminar he and I gave in Marin County, and I'm sure you know where that is. For yep. people who don't, it's the county right north of San Francisco. <laughs> and we kept coming up with these Marin County references, and um, and he he made some crazy joke about hunting in Marin County. And <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, I was just thinking. I was just thinking of an ad, you know, sort of like a, a tourism ad of some guy holding a really thick, you know, smoking joint and, you know, a, a picture of you discovering the Internet and it says Humboldt County, where great things happen, something <laughs> like that. Uh, the, the, the other thing I wanted to say is it's really interesting what you were saying about going down the mailhouse, the trays, hanging the guy, the check, because when Gary Halbert used to mentor people, he would, I think, charge them $27,000. And the first thing he would do would be to make them lick stamps and stuff envelopes and take trays down to the mailhouse. And it's funny. I mean, some of those people like, um, Caleb O'Dowd are incredibly smart marketers and great copywriters, but nobody could really understand that who hasn't been through one of those drills. But there is something about the whole tactile aspect of doing that and the experience and wondering the post office is going to steal your mail or the guy's going to short you on, not short you on, but overcharge you on postage or short you on pieces, all of those things, right? somehow that sharpens the mind. Well, you know, my understanding is that Dan Kennedy, even to this day, uh, when he's mailing to his, his inner, inner circle people, uh, they do that mailer out of his home. Hmm. (laughs) And, and there is, yeah, it's, it's sharp. it, It definitely sharpens the mind. It may even, I'm thinking of music here. You know, if you if you've only ever done electronic music and you've only pushed buttons and you've only you know turned dials, um, you're missing the the dimension of an actual drum, <laughs> yeah. you know, or an actual trumpet. And there is a tremendous amount of richness and vitality in in those physical instruments, uh, and they suggest a lot and they they're inspirational. Uh, so. Well, and the other thing, the other thing too, is with, when you see the physicality of it, you realize the deadly seriousness of it. Mm -hmm. Um, And whereas email, you know, you can, if, if you only know email and have only ever known email, it can be very easy to get lazy and sloppy and careless. And that's the big problem I see, uh, 
to, with with email only folks who who don't have any kind of a physical background in, in direct well mail. let's let's use that to transition into some of the things you learned as a direct mail financial and then later internet marketing seminar promoter and maybe relate it to email today. I'm sure you look at emails and you just shake your head or, or you know, try to keep your lunch down or, or whatever after uh, you've read them. Um, and uh, I got the impression that we didn't get to this explicitly. I got the impression from our back and forth that you see almost a whole lost generation of copywriters out there who haven't understood some of the basic things that you had to learn in at the time, which was the hardest way possible. Could you talk about that? Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay. So, so where to begin? Uh, let, let me start with something that um, Ted Nicholas said, uh, who's a great copywriter in his oh, own yeah, right. I remember Ted. I liked him, met him yep. and, and hired a lot of great copywriters. And for people that don't know him, he had a lot of different ventures, but the one that really clicked was he had something called, I think it was called the corporation company. Mm-hmm. And uh, he, he would re- he would run these little tiny ads and they sometimes full page ads, um, but, but often small ads too. And uh, he basically built a, a very successful business, uh, registering, t- teaching people the, the virtues of having their own corporation, and then also providing the back-end corporate services, which are on, ongoing. And then he was able to sell that company for a lot of money. And uh, he's taught people how to write copy. I think he had a book called The Golden Mailbox. Did he? Yeah, he, he did. And he had, um, I subscribed to his newsletter for a while. Um, I think it was called the Ted Nicholas newsletter, another book called magic words that bring you riches. Yep. Yep. And he said this about career advice for copywriters. And, and I wholeheartedly agree. Um, one of the best ways to become a, a an in-demand copywriter is to start your own business, <laughs> mm-hmm. use copy and make money at it. Uh, number one, you, you're going to learn a lot in the process. Uh, you know, it's live or die. And, and number two, you've then generated your, your proof that you're a good copywriter. Um, and I, I went that route, not consciously or deliberately or with a plan or based on his advice. Cause I just, I just did it because in when I started, it wasn't obvious to me how I could plug in and be a copywriter for anybody else. There, there wasn't this culture now. I mean, now people know what a copywriter is. A lot of people know that it's a good idea to hire a copywriter. I mean, David, you remember this was a really rarefied and specialized world. I do. Uh, yeah. Uh, now it's uh, people get it, uh, which is a good thing on, on the one side. Uh, uh, on, on the other side, though, people, I think, are um, underestimate how much craft is involved in, in doing it well. And so, so for the beginner or the, or the fledgling or the, the apprentice or the journeyman, uh, nothing will teach you faster than finding a product or a service or an event or a cause uh, that you believe in and uh, rolling up your sleeves and writing for that. Um, and seeing what happens, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a very different experience than writing for a client. You know, we, we've never talked about this on the podcast before. And, and of course, you and I have never talked about this particular topic, Ken, but I really appreciate what you're saying. And I'll tell you why. I talk about it myself. I've had clients who I have two types of mentoring clients. One are um, 
pure copywriters, maybe not pure as the driven snow, but copywriting is what they do. And then I have business owners who want to write copy. And sometimes I do have um, uh, people like you're talking about, you were thinking of becoming, although you never did, you know, a, a professional copywriter who had run their own business. And one of the things I say is it makes all the difference in the world when there are stakes and the stakes are high. Um, when you have skin in the game, when it really freaking matters, whether it works or not, whether when you feel a, a little bit of, of that uh, fear creeping up that, oh, shit, what if this doesn't work? Man, you know, and, and it matters. And maybe you're even thinking about mouths not getting fed, people going bankrupt. I mean, you don't have to get that paranoid to realize that you can put a lot on the line with a campaign. And if it doesn't work, it's like a bad bet at the poker table where the bet was in the four or five or six figures. So um, I, I love that you brought that up. And I think, I, you know, it, it also relates to what you're talking about music, because I've gotten into music recently and I started out with very physical instruments, guitar and tuba. And um, I'm doing a lot of electronic stuff and you can make stuff that sounds really good, kind of, um, you know, totally with a computer and, and uh, you know, with a keyboard, I mean, a computer keyboard and, and with a mouse. But wow, when, when there's a physical aspect of creating it, there's just a different dimension. I don't even know if you can quantify it, but you can feel it. I, I yeah I I couldn't agree more and you know all this virtual stuff is it's all great but it's it's relatively new <laughs> you know and and you know we're we're kind of hardwired for the physical world um, you know they call it the virtual world for a reason it's, it's <laughs> yep. not the real world you know um, but uh, yeah yeah this, skin in the game is a great phrase uh, and, and you know and, and to to quote Gary Halbert again he often used the uh, an analogy of what would you do if there was a gun to your head and this letter had to work? Yeah. You know, and that's kind of how I, cause I felt the gun in my, I didn't have money. I, I like, if I did, if my things didn't work, I might not have been able to pay my rent or eat very well that month. But so, eventually, uh, sorry to interrupt, but eventually yeah. you started making a ton of money with this, right? Yeah. Yep. It, uh, well, you know, I right place, right time, right topic, right stuff, you know, and for, uh, uh, the early years in, in the early nineties and, you know, 94, especially 94, um, I was kind of it in the Bay area. It was just hard to imagine. You know, sometimes I talk about this, I'm like, did that really happen? But, but you know what, it actually really did happen. Um, uh, late 94, early 95, uh, I was kind of the foremost person in the Bay Area, Silicon Valley, on the issue of commercialization of the internet. I mean, I was invited to speak everywhere. I was doing events all the time. I was, you know, so I made some money that way. Um, I started a hosting business <laughs> um, and it was, it was a great business. I was using other people's servers. You know, I didn't really run the servers or anything. I just subcontracted all that out. And it was just, nobody knew how to put up a website. Nobody knew how to handle the hosting. So we just had hundreds and hundreds of clients and we charged them a lot of money each. And it was a phenomenal business. Um, you know, then I got hooked. I was friendly with, but then got very connected with Dan Kennedy, um, who we referred to earlier, who's you know, very solid direct marketing guy, especially especially in the entrepreneurial world. Mm -hmm. And um, 
I was pretty much the only guy that he would allow speak to his, well, I was not pretty much, I was the only guy that he would allow speak to his audiences on the subject of online marketing from 93 till he sold the company to Bill Glazer in 90, in 2003. So, so I was it. So every time he did a kind, his audiences were fantastic because the audience was 100% hardcore in, uh, direct marketing oriented entrepreneur business owners, <laughs> you know, not, not just business owners, right? Um, not people dreaming of being entrepreneurs, but like guys that actually own businesses that totally understood direct marketing. And um, so it, it was very much shooting fish in a barrel for me so that when it was time for me to, to do conferences, very, very specific conferences on how to use the internet as it was developing as an online medium, I had this massive database of people that I accumulated by speaking at his events. So you saw the size of the event in... Um, oh my God, yeah, I could barely move. The, the crowd was so thick. Yeah, and that's that was what we were doing, and we did about fifty-five of them at that level. Wow! And um, you can, you know, and we believe it or not, I don't know how we did this, and it's it's not a testament to my skill; it's a testament to my inability to manage people. Uh, that whole company was just me and an assistant. Um, <laughs> you know, I, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> writer types don't really like uh, the management structures they talk about in Harvard Business Review, right? <laughs> I, may, I just don't know how people. I don't know how people do it. I don't know how you find employees. I don't know how you manage them. I don't know how you keep them from driving you crazy. Uh, how you pay them every month? I just don't get it. I don't know how it works. <laughs> I um, remember uh, right around uh, the time you were like Mister Commercialization of the Internet. I was. Um, sort of coming out of bankruptcy. Well, I didn't actually technically go bankrupt, but close enough. Um, and I was teaching public speaking with, with another guy and he had, and I, we both sort of had the same idea about, um, employees and employers and management structures. He said that he thought you should just get a bunch of dogs to carry briefcases down to the financial <laughs> district in San Francisco, and it would save everyone a lot of money. Um, listen, I would. We gotta wrap up, but would you be willing to come back uh, next week and and dig down a little deeper into some of your copywriting stuff because this is fascinating. But but we're just out of time today. I, I'd be I'd be pleased. It'd be wonderful to come back and talk more. I love this topic, and, and I'm enjoying talking with you. Thanks. Me too. So Nathan, um, you want to wrap us up and we can uh, pick this up in seven days. Absolutely. So we got Ken coming back on the next episode in between now and then though, is there somewhere where people can go to find out more about you, Ken? Oh, thanks for asking. Um, I finally, <laughs> I'm the shoemaker without shoes, you know, but I finally whipped my, my personal website into shape. So people could go to kenmccarthy.com. Awesome. All right. So check out KenMcCarthy.com. And if you want more of your podcast fix, head on over to CopywritersPodcast.com and we will catch you next time. Catch you next time. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review on iTunes so you never miss an episode. This show was brought to you by the Copy and Funnels Podcast Network.